0: Amen. Well, you all can have a seat. It is great to have you here with us today. It's great to have those of you who are joining us online join us today. And if you've been in the Bowling Green area or you are part of our church, you've probably heard or know that it has been an eventful week for us here at H2O, if you're not familiar with what that means, uh, last Sunday we can just bring you quickly up to speed. We just want to spend about a minute updating you. Last Sunday, our church was the subject of a protest, and you can read about our statement on our website if you want to hear the the full details of that story. But really, just wanted to say something really quick about that first. We want to thank those of you who are part of our church family. So many of you have reached out to us, you've encouraged us, you've told us you know who we really are and that you value us and you've been praying for us, and that means the world to us. Our staff, our leaders have taken a lot of strength from that, and so we want to thank you. And then secondly, we do want to just reach out to the members of the LGBTQ plus community, and we want you to know that we truly do love you. We truly do care for you, and we want you to know that that you are welcome here. You know, we understand that we may not agree on every single detail. We understand that we may even have different views of Scripture, but in our mind, that doesn't stop us from welcoming you here. So from our perspective, we want you to know that you are welcome here anytime. You know, our mission here at H2O, it's about inviting people to find and follow Jesus together. And and, and we love doing that with anyone and everyone, no matter what their background is. And and we also have a core value here at H2O. And one of the core values is biblical faithfulness. And and the Bible is something that, that this church is founded on, and nothing will ever Change that. And really, as we start to transition into the message here today, that's what we do on Sundays. We get together and we spend time opening up God's Word and digging into it and seeing how it applies to our life. And that's what we're going to do together today. In fact, today we're launching into a new series. On Romans chapter 8 and we're getting very creative in the series title of this and it's going to be called Romans chapter 8. And so uh, the, the book of Romans is this amazing book in, in the Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's really a letter to the church in, Ro- in Rome that the Apostle Paul wrote and he, he really wrote this book as kind of like this deep explanation of what the gospel is. And we know that the gospel means good news. And so Paul spends 16 chapters in the book of Romans in this letter pointing out with pinpoint accuracy what it really means to follow Jesus, what the gospel is all about. And and there's sections of this book and this letter that are are very kind of academic and very kind of heady, and they go into the details of what the gospel really is, and yet it doesn't just stop there. The book of Romans goes beyond just the the mental or or the head game uh, of what the gospel is is all about and it goes right to our hearts and it pierces our heart it's and it teaches us how we can be changed by the power of the gospel and this book it's so deep and it's so rich and specifically chapter 8 is like this beautiful description uh, of of the gospel and so we are going to spend a lot of time the next 8 weeks in chapter 8 it's a really amazing chapter of the bible in fact uh, Philip Spencer he's a pastor he says this he says if scripture were a ring so if you could kind of picture the Bible, this whole thing, as like a ring, maybe an engagement ring. He says that Romans would be the precious stone on that ring, and he says that chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the gem. If Scripture were a ring, if the whole Bible were a ring, Romans would be the precious gem and Romans 8 would be the sparkling point. You see, Romans 8, it starts, and we're going to dig into this phrase today because we're going to kick off with looking at the first four verses. It starts with this phrase, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the first words of the chapter. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And it ends with this idea that there is no separation from God, for those who love him. And so it starts and it ends with this assurance that that we can take heart in that God loves us and that there is no separation or condemnation for those who are in Christ. And, And that's our big idea that I want to spend some time talking about together today. Our big idea is this, that sin condemns, but Jesus sets us free. Sin for all of us, No matter what the sin is, it does condemn us. But Jesus, when we find ourselves in Him, He sets us free. I wanna ask you a question as we start today, and it's a little bit of a heavier question. The question is this Have you ever felt condemned before? And I'm not talking about just like judged by other people who are around you who maybe give you a dirty look or something like that. I'm talking about maybe even a deeper type of condemnation. Have you ever deep in your heart, Known that there's something wrong with you? Have you ever deep in your heart known that that there's something that's separating you from God? Have you ever deep in your heart known that you're not the person that you want to be? Have you ever felt condemned? Have you ever condemned yourself? Have you ever felt condemnation from God. I remember for myself, I remember the first time I ever had this feeling. I, I was a kid, I don't remember exactly how old I was, maybe second, third, fourth grade, and I, I had a friend named Josh, and Josh's dad was the principal of my elementary school. Okay, And so I really enjoyed hanging out with Josh, but but his dad was kind of this authoritarian figure in my life. And this is going to date me a little bit, but when I went to elementary school, I was kind of the last wave of kids that, like, you could still get physical punishment in my elementary school. Like, the principal could literally paddle you if you got in trouble. And so it was cool being friends with Josh, but it was always a little bit intimidating because his dad was kind of bringing the hammer down on our school oftentimes. So we were— his house one time. His house is very neat. His house is very orderly. It was run very well. And uh, we were getting a little rambunctious. We were kind of out of control. We were leaving the house to take me home. And uh, me and a few other kids, we were kind of getting out of control. I was the last one out of the house. We were kind of shoving and pushing each other, jumping around like we probably shouldn't have been. And what I did was bump like this really nice family photo that they have. It falls off the wall crashes, destroys the the frame and the glass and everything in it. But what I realized was nobody else knew about it. Everybody else had just gotten out the door. And I knocked the frame off the wall, but nobody knew that I did it. And so I had this decision to make, like, do I fess up and own that it was my mistake? Or do I just leave it be and kind of live this hidden truth about myself? And I decided to make the decision that I wasn't going to tell anybody. I shut the door quickly, walked out the door, we went home, and I never heard anything about it again. But what I do remember after that experience, and I still remember it to this day, I remember feeling this sense of, like, shame of conviction in my heart. I remember feeling this like almost strange condemnation because I knew that I had done something wrong. It was like the first time, and maybe you can remember the first time you realized the difference between right and wrong and you knew that you chose wrong. wrong. And and, and you have to wrestle with that. And, And those types of feelings can start to well up condemnation in our hearts and in our minds. Do you ever still feel that even to this day? Do you ever ask the questions, you know, am I really loved? Does God accept me? Do others accept me? Am I good enough to be a Christian? Am I going to sin too much to fall out of the grace of God? Well, today, we're going to look at a a passage of Scripture that directly addresses many of those questions that we're asking. And so let's open up together to Romans chapter 8. We're just going to look at the first four verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to read it together and then we're going to pull out three different points. And and I want to start with this Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, therefore, okay? we're going to stop. We made it one word in. That's why we're taking 8 weeks in this series for one chapter. Okay, therefore, we've said this before at HJO, but it's so important to us, you know, biblical faithfulness is one of our core values, so we have to know how to study the Bible. If there is a therefore there, we probably should ask what's the therefore there? What does it what comes before it? Why is Paul saying therefore? Well, in Romans chapter 7, right before chapter 8 that we're going to spend our time in, Paul, it's a beautiful chapter. If you're somebody who's wrestling with a sin right now or you're somebody who's struggling with something, Paul in Romans chapter 7 talks about this inward struggle that he's having. And he says things like, the very things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And he talks about this reality that he is wrestling with sin in Romans chapter 7. And that should give us a little bit of encouragement here because this is Paul. You know, other than Jesus Christ, he's probably the most holy, most influential Christian to have ever lived. And right before this, he's talking about the struggle that he has. His flesh and his sin nature against the spiritual nature that God has put into him. And he says, there's still a struggle in my life. And so then he transitions. So therefore, that's how we get to this chapter. Therefore, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might Fully meet in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What a powerful section. And I want to talk about just a couple things from this passage. And the first one is this that there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. We talked about those feelings that we have inside ourselves oftentimes, but Paul says, listen, there is no condemnation. That word means to be declared guilty or to be destined for punishment. And so if you are in Christ, you will never be condemned. You will never be declared guilty or destined for punishment. And I don't know about you, but that is gospel. That is good news to hear that, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus took that condemnation that we deserve, and he put it upon himself. That's why he went to the cross. When we say that phrase that you oftentimes hear, Jesus died for your sins, that's what this means. See, he traded his perfection, Jesus Christ, who walked and lived perfectly in this world, he traded his perfection for our brokenness and our sin, and he took the condemnation that we deserve, that we oftentimes feel deep in our hearts, whether we want to admit it or not, and he took it upon himself when we place our faith and trust in him. Now I want you to notice what this verse doesn't say here because I think that it's important to not only know what it does say and what it doesn't say. This verse does not say there are no more mistakes for those who are in Christ. You'll never make a mistake again. This verse doesn't say there are no more failures for those who are in Christ. This verse doesn't even say that there are no more sins for those who are in Christ. Remember what the therefore was there for? Paul was talking about his very self struggling with sins. So Christians do fail. When you're in Christ, you will still make mistakes, and sadly, we still will sin, but that is not our nature anymore. We are not defined by sin anymore, and we are not condemned by our sins because of what Jesus has done for us. So if you're in Christ, the law cannot condemn you. That's what this passage is saying. Why? Because Christ already suffered that condemnation for us on the cross. In legal terms, there's, there's this term, it's called double jeopardy. I think there's even a movie that's made about it. And what that, that term basically means is that, in, in our country at least, you cannot be tried twice for the same charges or the same crime. So if you get charges brought against you, whether you're declared guilty or innocent, you cannot get tried for that same crime again. You can only be tried for it once. You can only be declared guilty or innocent one time. And the same is true when we are in Christ, that that Jesus paid our uh, our penalty for our sins once and for all. That's why we can say there is no condemnation for us. See, sometimes as Christians, we feel like we kind of need to bounce back and forth between condemnation and salvation. Oh, I had a pretty good day. I, I prayed a lot today. I read my Bible a lot. I guess today's a good day. I'm experiencing God oh man, I had a pretty bad day today. I had some bad thoughts. I said some words that I shouldn't have said. I guess today I'm kind of condemned. And sometimes we live our lives kind of like this yo-yo, back and forth between am I really in, in, in God's good grace? Am I really surrounded by God's love? Am I really experiencing the salvation of God or am I experiencing condemnation today? But Paul wants us to know there is no condemnation. So we can walk in the freedom that comes from Jesus. And this is good news. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Second, what Paul is saying in these verses is this, that our good works are limited. That our good works are limited. Check out verse 3. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. What Paul is saying here is the law can't save us. Our, our good works can't save us. Being good people can't save us. Oftentimes we're th- tempted to think if we do enough good things, we can kind of work our way back to God, and that's how we avoid condemnation. Many of us think, you know, we're, we're just generally good people down, down deep. You know, I, I've been in ministry long enough to, to, to know that it is very rare that I'll hear somebody say, Yeah, I'm actually a pretty bad person. But most of the time when I'm talking to people, and myself included, I'm tempted to kind of overrate myself spiritually. Tempted to say, yeah, I make some mistakes sometimes, but deep down, I'm a good person. Deep down, I've done a lot of good things. And yet what Paul's saying here is, listen, you can never do enough good things to work your way back to God. Because he's perfect. And to be in a relationship with God, we have to be perfect as well. And there's only one way to experience that perfection. It is through Christ. I know I talk about my kids a lot. We have three kids, um, but, but one of my kids in particular, I won't tell you what his or her name is, um, is a little bit more stubborn than others. And especially when this child was younger, it was really hard to get them to follow the rules. And to do the right thing, especially in certain situations. Like one of the situations that we would always run into is whenever we'd want to take a family photo, this child would not get in the family photo for whatever reason, you know. And so you're like all dressed up and ready to go, and they're just like, nope, not doing it. And you try to reason, and it just doesn't happen. Or or maybe you'd sit down at the dinner table and try to get them to eat their vegetables, and they just would not do it. And so finally, and I'm not recommending this as like a parenting tip, but finally I started to deploy a little bit of reverse psychology, and and what I would do is I would say, hey, um, we're going to take a family picture. I'm not really sure if you're allowed to be in it, Um, you know, so if you want to stand over there, you can, and then all of a sudden, uh, he would be, or the child would be like, uh, I want to be in it. And so they would come and get in it. Or I'd say, you know, those vegetables, they're really good for you, and they're going to make you really strong, but I don't really think that you should eat them because I'm not sure if that's something you want. Well, no, no, I'll I'll eat them. I would do reverse psychology because I knew that this child would do the opposite of what I said. And, and, And I think that oftentimes that's how we are with God, isn't it? Oftentimes that is exactly how we are with God. He gives us a rule, and we'll find a creative way to break it. The problem isn't that there aren't enough rules or there aren't enough laws, so to speak, and go to the Old Testament, and that's what the legalists of that time would do. They would see the problem of sin, and they would think, well, let's just add more laws. The more laws that we have, the more restrictions that we have, then the holier people will be. And still to this day, some people who are stuck in that mindset, you know, we would call them legalists or people that are just in love with religion. They they like to just add more and more restrictions and more and more rules. That's not what the gospel is. Because listen, we'll find ways to break those rules. You know, adding more speed limit signs doesn't keep us from speeding. All it does is reveal to us That we're doing something wrong. All it does is reveal to us that there is a problem. See, the the law, the rules, they don't have the power to produce holiness. They just have the power to show us that we need something greater than ourselves to make us right. The, The only way to produce real change, to produce holiness, is through Jesus. The power of his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's why Jesus came. You see, what Jesus did for us on the cross, it makes no sense unless we recognize that condemnation is a real thing. That judgment, that our lives, if left on their own, deserve judgment. And that's a heavy truth for all of us to swallow. But we are all in the same boat. And that's why we can love every single person the exact same way because we're all on a level playing field. If we could just work our way back to God, then Jesus didn't need to come to this earth, and he didn't need to die, and he didn't need to raise from the grave. But we can't, and so he did. And that's the power of the gospel. See, we're set free from the consequences of breaking the law, because Christ has already suffered the condemnation that we deserve on the cross. And we get to choose whether we're gonna follow him and receive the work that he's done, or reject him. That's what this passage is all about. Third and finally, I want to look at this. That being in Christ, it it allows us to experience no condemnation, but it also changes the way that we live. See, again, it's not just something that happens in our heads. It's something that happens in our hearts, and it flows out of us. Being in Christ changes the way that we live. Check out the end of verse 3 and in verse 4. It says, And so he condemned sin in the flesh, talking about Jesus, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but who what? who live according to the Spirit. So we now live in a different way once we experience the gospel. You know, we know that we won't be condemned when we're in Christ because he gives us his spirit, the spirit of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. Look back at verse two. It says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gave life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Sin condemns. Jesus sets us free. See, this, this passage teaches us, scripture teaches us that Jesus is Fulfilled the law in the way that he lived because he lived perfectly. So he fulfilled the law. That he broke the curse of sin and death because he died in our place. And he gives us new life in his resurrection because he defeated death and offers us eternal life. And so we want to say, if you're watching this, if you're here with us and you've never experienced the reality of, of no condemnation in your life, Jesus extends it to you. It's a free gift of God's grace where you can simply say, God, I want to give you my life. I want to worship you. I admit that on my own, I cannot make my way back to God, but through your gift of salvation, I want to say yes, and I want to follow you. And as we follow him, our sinful desires die And our spiritual desires to walk and live with Jesus start to take root in our life. So how does the gospel change the way that we live? Well, we recognize that the spirit of God lives inside of us, so we stop trying to earn God's love. We stop trying to work our way and earn God's love back to him because we realize that he already loves us. That's why he died for us. That's why he came. That's why he rose from the grave. It also allows us to stop hiding from God because he sees us right where we are. And he loves us and cares for us and accepts us right where we're at. And finally, we know that we can trust him with our whole lives, daily submitting to him, living for him, and the power of the gospel not living in our fleshly desires, but living in the power of His Spirit that now lives inside those who believe in Him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is good news, and this is what we will proclaim all the days of our lives. You now, our, our our life is no longer dominated by those thoughts of condemnation and judgment, self-judgment, but it's allowing us to live and walk in the power and presence and peace that he extends to us. That's our hope and our prayer for every single one of us. And our hope and our prayer is that you would accept that gift of Jesus' love. We're excited to journey through this chapter together for the next eight weeks, and we're excited to see what God does in the life of our church. So let's spend some time praying as the band comes up. God, we thank you for the beautiful gift of your scripture, And we thank you for the power of your word. May we be a church that loves deeply. May we be a church that shares boldly about your grace. God, I pray for every single person that is in Christ, that they would walk in the fact that there is no condemnation for them. God, if we really grasp that, the freedom that you offer us is so rich, and you want that for us. Or nothing can separate us from your love. And that's a beautiful picture that we need to constantly be reminded of. And Lord, our prayer and our heart for those who may be here or may be watching that don't know you is that they would come to grips with the reality of their brokenness so that they can turn that over to you. So that they can say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need you to love me. The only way that I'm gonna be completely free is to walk in you. We thank you for the power of your word and the truth of the gospel here today. In your name we pray, amen.